Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 15th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening, I'm William Hosea, and in today's broadcast, we will learn about how during this COVID-19 pandemic, agencies and individuals are working diligently to safeguard a group of our community's most vulnerable individuals who are experiencing homelessness and extreme poverty. In a story dating back to March 23rd of this year, an announcement was made about a shelter for people experiencing homelessness who need to isolate themselves because of COVID-19 and that it was scheduled to open that following week at 300 West Hillside Drive. People can use the shelter for isolation if they have been exposed to someone who has tested positive for the coronavirus or shows symptoms themselves. For Monroe County organizations, Shalom Community Center, Wheeler Mission, New Hope Family Shelter, and Middleway House are working together to create this shelter. Community Kitchen will help provide free meals. Forrest Gilmore, Executive Director of Shalom Community Center, said the center already partners with Community Kitchen to provide meals for people in need, and this project is going beyond the resources they already provide. Also in mid-March, when the COVID-19 reality set in, Nicole Johnson, a Crestmont resident, went into action. She hung flyers on every Crestmont and Reverend Ernest Butler housing community door. Amber Scobie, executive director of the Bloomington Housing Authority, noticed the flyers, read one, and was immediately moved by her caring outreach. She said that, I sent her a text thanking her for being such a thoughtful neighbor. That text set off a flurry of communication with Nicole. Her openness about how the residents were coping or struggling was just the kind of direct information Amber needed to help the BHA provide support. To further elaborate on the actions of our Bloomington agencies and shining citizens, we have invited Reverend Forrest Gilmore, Executive Director of Shalom Community Center, Ms. Amber Scobie, Executive Director of the Bloomington Housing Authority, and Nicole Johnson to join us for an insightful conversation on the strategies to help those who feel marginalized and who are at risk concerning this COVID-19 pandemic. Forrest, Amber, and Nicole, welcome to Bring It On. Hey, thank you. Glad, glad to be here. Okay. I think uh, we, we, we want to probably start off and and ask you all to kind of paint a picture of how drastically things have changed for your organization uh, pre-pandemic compared to to the current situation. And and Reverend Gilmore, we can start with you if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think probably the biggest, you know, there are probably at least two main main things that are serious, uh, seriously affecting our folks and and the, the folks that we work with. And um, one is, you know, um, a lot of uh, folks in shelters and uh, experiencing homelessness have um, are in close proximity with each other. They're living in 
you know, together and um, eating together and sleeping in the same, you know, space and all, and all that. So, so how do we kind of adapt um, all that we do to help people stay safe from coronavirus so it doesn't spread uh, through and, and affect a lot of people? Um, and the other thing is if someone does get sick, uh, what, what do you do uh, then if you're, you know, the average person who's kind of uh, trying to, um, uh, you know, get sick and they're told to isolate, um, they have a home that they theoretically can go and isolate to. And when you're homeless, you have nowhere to go. So we had to adapt to those two major uh, realities um, in all the work that we've been doing. So that involves everything from health checks, uh, temperature readings, and, and such hand-washing requirements for folks, uh, social distancing practices. We had to uh, move our overnight shelter to an entirely new location uh, so that we could uh, move people further apart uh, from each other, um, distributing masks and, and getting people to wear uh, masks and protect themselves in that way. And we also, uh, in partnership with other agencies in the community started an, uh, an entirely new uh, shelter and isolation shelter built it from scratch uh, in order to um, give people a safe place to go if they were uh, diagnosed with the disease or or um, were at risk of, of the disease so um, so that's been a lot to accomplish in a very short period of time and, and uh, that's that's what we've been working on that's um, uh, how uh, we've been trying to navigate this uh, crisis and so, Amber, as the uh, executive director of the Bloomington Housing Authority, you, your job is a little bit different from what Reverend Gilmore does, but I do know that you had to put some initiatives in place and make sure that you meet the needs of the uh, public housing residents uh, as a result of, of this pandemic. Is that right? Sure. Yeah. This is a really quick overview of the Bloomington Housing Authority. Uh, we operate two major programs. Um, you can think of us as you know, this quasi-governmental agency that um, takes federal housing assistance and applies it to local need. Uh, so for our public housing families, we own and operate over 312 units of conventional affordable housing. Uh, for those families, we um, were working with them um, in case there was some sort of uh, job loss or income change due to the pandemic. Um, one benefit of our programs is that our families pay 30% of their adjusted monthly income on rent. Um, so if the income is decreasing because of a reduction in hours or job loss, uh, we quickly have to uh, process that paperwork to make sure their rent is lowered um, as, as income is lowered. Uh, we also have to make sure that they were uh, safe in their home and, and had access to some basic needs. Um, so working with uh, some of our service coordination staff uh, to make sure there's, you know, the food pantry from the Gerald Food Bank is still operating. Um, and then a lot of other agencies are, are still able able to uh, connect with some of our, our tenants in need um, and just checking on folks one-on-one, -on -one, giving them a call, uh, perhaps if they're elderly or disabled, folks who knew were homebound. Um, and then in the midst of all of this, we before we knew anything was happening, we were running down the path of uh, renovating uh, the units in Reverend Butler and Walnut Woods. And so handling some of the work um, that was happening with that and just being really diligent um, as 
families maybe need to relocate to another unit so we can do renovations. Uh, it was kind of all happening at once, and it seemed like we were um, just every day had, had a different change of plans and trying to communicate the best that we could with our residents. Um, also, just for our, our voucher program, we saw a significant amount of income changes for uh, those families, and so the staff are just uh, working, again, to process those income changes so the rent amounts decrease. Um, we also decided to open up our wait list for the voucher program um, in order to help those who might need rental assistance but weren't currently on the wait list, um, giving them an opportunity to apply. Well, I have a question. Program, uh, you're referring to Section 8, right? Yes. Yeah. Section okay. 8 in the Housing Choice Voucher Program. Okay. I have a uh, question for both. Um, uh, Forrest and Amber. Um, it seems that what you're describing, Amber, and, and, and what you've described for us, uh, somewhere there should be some interaction between agencies, interface between the agencies. Um, and can you talk about the alliance that you two may have formed just because of the services you provide to those who are in need, both either low-income housing and uh, perhaps those who really need a, a place to lay their head? If you could talk about the interactions between your two agencies. Sure. Um, uh, I think one of the probably the biggest uh, challenges I think um, through this time has been just trying to keep people, um, you know, getting their basic needs met. And so a lot of our more advanced, um, you know, if you will, services like trying to get people into housing and and actually have had to take a little bit of a backseat, unfortunately, because uh, it's harder to just even engage landlords and and uh, and you know, um, have the staffing to keep going and, and functioning in addition to the significant volunteer drop-off. So we certainly were, uh, you know, working hard to try and get people signed up for um, the on the Section 8 list when that when that opened, the Housing Choice Voucher list when that opened, and that's probably the the, the biggest interaction that we've we've had with Housing Authority through this. In addition to just helping people um, get back, you know, into get get into homes who are working with housing authority have been on the list and their waitlist number comes up and that kind of thing and trying to get them into homes. Yeah, I think that's a, a good way of describing the overlap in terms of um, agencies like Shalom and the staff there are really knowledgeable about how the housing authorities' waitlists work and some of the documentation that might be needed for families be successful in walking them through uh, that path um, in order to complete an application fully or kind of know the details, um, what needs to happen when applying and what some of those timelines would be. Uh, so we're just really grateful to have community partners uh, like the Shalom Community Center. Um, but, you know, the Housing Authority, we don't offer any emergency housing assistance. Um, ours is sort of uh, something, you know, that does involve a wait list. And unfortunately, you know, it takes some time. We're not able to offer that immediate assistance. Um, but, you know, that's the nature of the program. And there's such a high need, um, unfortunately, for the programs and the you know, units that we have available. Uh, be before, Forrest, you mentioned that uh, you did take uh, measures to make sure that people were 
properly outfitted with masks. And uh, along that line, I just want to pick up on that point. Do you perform testing? If so, how is that carried out? And then do you have uh, ample masks to distribute to people? Um, and then also, do you reinforce social distancing? And, and what does that look like um, in your agency? Uh, yeah, lots of uh, lots of challenges all across the board in the, in those things. Um, so in terms of testing, um, we uh, do a preliminary test to everyone who accesses our services. So when they come for meals or come for sheltering or overnight sheltering, we're doing uh, daily uh, health checks with everybody. That includes asking them a few questions about any uh, symptoms they they might be experiencing around uh, that could be related to coronavirus. And we also do temperature checks and then um, have them, uh, you know, wash their hands at that point. Um, so that's a lot of uh, what we do. We do try uh, to work on social distancing and uh, having people um, uh, stay apart. But uh, but honestly, that's probably our biggest challenge uh, in terms of um, inspiring uh, people to to uh, to do that because um, you know relationships. Uh, when you're experiencing homelessness, relationships are really paramount and really important. And the idea of separating and distancing is extremely difficult um, emotionally. And, and uh, so, so we do our best to support people in that by, you know, limiting the way that our services work, trying to keep um, beds apart and separated and that kind of thing. In terms of actual tests, we've had, um, I believe, 16 people so far. Uh, in our community that uh, who are experiencing homelessness that have been tested um, specifically, and those are you know folks who showed some sense of symptoms around that and and um, and uh, went and got a physical went and got the actual test uh, for coronavirus and we're we're really pr proud that at this point we have had uh, zero positive tests in our community so uh, in, uh, in the homeless population there hasn't been a single positive test. You know that that's exciting right there, and I just I just want to pause you right there. I think sometimes public sentiment there's a lot of ignorance, and I'll be the first to say that as as I go to work, I I may pa I pass Shalom Center just about every day. Yeah. And I see um, I see congregating near some of the outside areas, and I think to myself, well, that's not social distancing. But yeah. but then to hear you report that. Uh, You've, you've yet to record a positive uh, uh, test. Um, that really that really excites me because somehow through the grace of God or something something's happening to keep this marginalized population whole uh, to to a, to to an extent. And then and then too, you work with a lot of mentally challenged individuals. Where mm -hmm. here you were talking about taking temperatures and, and some individuals, some people just, just don't want people to don't touch me. Don't get near me. Exactly. Don't, you know, it's, and you have to deal with that. I heard you chuckle earlier and, and I could just, your hands are full just trying to uh, keep adults, you know, safe. And it's, and then it's just every day, the same thing over and over again. Uh, Amber in, in the public housing uh, sector, do you confront any of these things or are these things that you come across? Uh, well, we have not been testing. Um, we haven't had that offered um, at all. We've been just putting out some materials, educating folks about 
um, what resources are available in the community. Uh, we are ordering uh, PPE, the personal protective uh, equipment uh, gear for uh, residents to have available, especially if uh, they uh, don't have any already or as we reopen our office uh, sometime in the future, they're needing to come in for an appointment. Uh, we've been working with our resident council, um, and then you'll hear more about Nicole's work um, with offering items that are, you know, household items, cleaners, um, and also uh, food um, for folks to have available um, in order to, you know, stay safe in their home, have access to cleaning products, those types of things. Um, we do have some funding available. We received some additional funding from the Federal CARES Act. Housing authorities received um, in case there would be a, a COVID-19 positive test and we would need to assist one of our families. And so we hope that our families are open with us and, and communicating in case there's any issues, we're able to respond and quickly provide some resources that might be needed, whether it's, you know, uh, isolating in a hotel or whether it's having some cleaning crews come in, uh, whatever that might be, um, you know, that's available and we want to work with our families on that. It, is there a cost to the family or is that provided through your agency as far as if you have to temporarily relocate out to a hotel or to have a cleaning crew come in and, and uh, sanitize the house? Yeah, it's it's open to the family at no cost. We, you know, have been putting some money aside in, in case that comes up. So, you know, it's, it's available uh, for them and, and we can help coordinate the work that would need to happen in order to make sure that a family can, you know, not have to worry and, and focus on their health. Right. I just want to ID our guests, and I'm going to throw this back to William for some more questions. For those who just joined us, uh, this is Bring It On, and we are interviewing Reverend Forrest Gilmore, Executive Director of Shalom Community Center, Ms. Amber Scobie, who just spoke. She is the Executive Director of the Bloomington Housing Authority, and Nicole Johnson, uh, who is a resident. Um, and um, really, I'm waiting to hear her story. <laughs> it's almost like we're sort of saving the best for last. And Nicole, we have not forgotten about you. Uh, but I just wanted to ID our guests once again, and I'll throw it over to William for some questions. Well, actually, I was I was just about to uh, uh, tell Nicole that we haven't forgotten about you. We're saving the <laughs> more complicated, penetrating questions for you, because we, we do want the public to hear about the work that you've been doing. But for right now, I want to go back to Reverend Gilmore re really quick. And uh, absolutely, you know, <laughs> okay, Reverend Gilmore, we've been hearing about uh, the death toll in this country has exceeded 100,000 deaths. And you yes. actually answered one of my earlier questions that I was going to ask about the homeless population in Bloomington uh, uh, and the diagnoses uh, within that population. But do you know if the homeless population has been accounted for in those 100,000 deaths? Uh, but I think the general agreement is that we're, we're probably way above that, uh, that 100,000 deaths. And, and if you can't answer that question, then at least give us your thoughts about it, about the homeless population being counted. 
Yeah, um, certainly if they ended up hospitalized, they would get counted. Um, uh, but, but of course, this is a population that's, you know, often separated from resources and, and marginalized in a lot of significant ways. So, so they don't necessarily get that kind of health care or the health care that they do get is substandard. So um, that's uh, very significant. We've been uh, really fortunate here in that um, the health department and uh, community health and IU Health, IU Health Community Health and, and others have taken this very seriously and done a lot of work to make sure that uh, people experiencing homelessness were considered one of the um, priority populations for testing. And um, so, so locally, uh, we've been able to get those tests for people experiencing, you know, having symptoms, uh, which has been pretty remarkable. We haven't, we, we were really thinking there was going to be something vast and significant. And there have been some shelters like Indianapolis had a, had a significant kind of uh, rush of uh, people who were diagnosed um, there. And uh, there's a shelter in Boston I heard about and some other places where a large number of people tested positive, but we, we expected this to be a lot more severe than it has been. And so right now we're trying to figure out what's going to happen over the next, you know, months and, and maybe years um, and how we adapt uh, to keep people safe in the long haul. You know, it's interesting you said uh, adapt over the next few months or years. Uh, I, I don't think it's really set in yet fully in our country that COVID-19 is going to be here with us for a while. And, right. Uh, we have to adjust and get ready for it. And that's, that's a bitter pill to swallow. Um, what does that do to your budgeting uh, as you go forward? Both uh, Amber and, and, and Forrest, feel free to answer that. But knowing this now, does that mean applying for more grants? I know the CARES uh, Act is out there, but does that mean applying for more grants? Or what does that mean? Well, for the Housing Authority, um, a large bulk of our money does come from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development and several sources. Uh, we're really proud of the advocacy work that our fellow Housing Authority industry folks have done to make sure we were included on the CARES Act and we received additional funding. Uh, in total, the Bloomington Housing Authority received um, over 350,000 in additional resources. And, and that goes to um, helping us adapt as we have staff working from home. Uh, we need uh, different kinds of technology software um, in order to still serve our clients, but not go through the kind of paperwork systems that we've had before. Um, we need it for that PPE to be able to help our residents in case there is uh, COVID-19 case that comes up, um, we're spending it on, you know, just the ability to still serve people and help folks um, as this is going to go on for some time. And we might have to do this dance where we're, you know, opening back up to the public, but then there's an incident and we, you know, need to go back to being a little bit more strict. So um, anyway, we're thankful for that funding. Um, the big impact that we make is with our housing assistance payments, and that's through the Section 8 program. So we have a budget of about $9 million that we pay over the course of a year, helping over 1,300 families um, afford rent. And that money goes directly to property owners and landlords in Monroe County. 
we've seen an increase in those housing assistance payment funds, and we are at a point now that if we keep the trend moving forward, as the amount of money that we've paid in, in April and May, you know, we don't have enough money to, to do that, to keep um, assisting the same number of families. Uh, so we know that Congress is allocating more housing assistance payment money. Um, we are just, you know, trying to stay in communication with HUD on how we access that funding. So it's available. I would just say that, you know, we on the local level have to be very diligent and stay in communication with um, HUD to access that funding. Um, I don't want anyone to necessarily panic, and I'm not trying to be alarming. It's just this. So glad the federal government put out some extra money, um, but behind the scenes, logistically, how do we access that and you know apply for it and all of that guidance is still coming out. So that you know always on our minds, and we're trying to do the best that we can to you know, pay attention to how that process will happen and get that process started as soon as we can, especially if we, you know, notice that this continues for the next, you know, through the rest of this year for several months. Nicole, are you still with us? I indeed am. Okay. Um, no, Nicole, uh, I consider you one of the silent heroes in the community. Um, I first learned about the work that you were doing as a result of one of our board meetings, uh, Housing Authority board meetings. Amber brought it to our attention and told us everything that you were doing. Um, we made mention early on in this broadcast that you had uh, knocked on doors in your community and, and uh, posted flyers. But I understand you also started a food pantry. So you obviously were not looking for any recognition. You just saw a need and you went straight to work. So I want to, uh, I'd like you to share with us what kind of motivated you in your community to start doing the work that you were doing. Okay. Um, well, it's, let's see, where can I start? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'd like to say that. Um, and I That's what appreciate, they always say when they miss um, NBC. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, this is, I, I really appreciate being brought into this conversation, especially in this format and on this show. So um, I do appreciate that. Um, as far as what moved me, um, you know, it kind of just, the ball just started rolling. So um, I'm involved in two things. The One is more local and then one is a little bit broader. Um, and then, so what I have done, is there was initially, um, you know, uh, this all started happening and my kids couldn't go to school. And um, I was like, we're going to need math. You know, the whole, like, that it started happening. And I was like, we're going to end up wearing masks like Japan. And so we started sewing masks for our friends and family. And, and then that went on. And then, and then as I'm doing that, I've been, I was sitting at my you know, kitchen table, which is where I started sewing. Um, and uh, I stopped that because I couldn't, we couldn't eat anymore. <laughs> so we have, I have a dedicated space for that now, but um, that was a little bit of a transition. Um, anyways, I, you know, I'm sitting there and I, I can see all the one and two bedroom units um, uh, from my window. And 
I usually see folks walking around and, you know, feeding their dogs and, you know, talking and watering plants, whatever, outside. And I just kind of noticed that um, I didn't see anybody. And it kind of started to, like, weigh on my heart. And, like, I was just like, okay, so, you know, at that point, I had gotten the mailer on on the door and from the housing authority letting us know that they're, they were closed and going, going remote and, you know, and, and all of this and, the, and all of the changes that were going to occur. And then, um, and then I started not seeing anybody at like a lot of people outside. Um, and so I was just like, there are an awful lot of, you know, individuals that, you know, I mean, first of all, we all qualify as low income pretty much, <laughs> but um, there's a lot of individuals in this community and in, in these two communities um, that, uh, are disabled and are low alone or elderly or immunocompromised, uh, many things. Um, on top of that, um, uh, we have lots of uh, racial minorities. Um, and uh, and on top of that, we also uh, live in crowded multi-generational housing. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, you can, it's, it, we, we're, we're, we're packed in here. I mean, not above limit, of course, but, you know, Two people for bedroom and two people in the living room is is pretty tight limits. Uh, so if that's legal, like that's a lot of people in a in a house. Um, regardless, so like you cannot social distance. And then you know our front doors aren't very far apart. Uh, <laughs> they may be six feet apart. You know, as with most as with most apartments. So like you know, there's just and then there's the kids and then they're hanging out and you know like so and you know what I really kind of see and this is what I'm kind of noticing. I don't know if anybody else is noticing this, but I'm noticing that these larger communities, and this was kind of brought up when Forrest was speaking um, with the homeless community. Um, and then I also see this with a large group of children. You know, there's probably like at least 30 to 50 of them collectively that run around here playing with each other, you know, um, uh, and uh, at least around in my like, you know, square block uh, and uh, that I see. And uh, they, like, like you said, we're, there's nobody really getting sick. And it's, even though it's a lot, these large groups of, you know, of people that aren't necessarily uh, don't look like they're social distancing, but, you know, if you actually like look into the, the, the cultures of those groups, you realize that this is their culture. They're cult, they have large support networks, both in the homeless community and in the low income racial and ethnic minority, uh, you know, communities, they, we have large, we have large, you know, networks. So that's that. Um, to get back to what I'm doing, yes. Uh, the Pigeon Hill Pantry, I apologize, I know I kind of went off there. Um, but the Pigeon Hill Pantry basically was, it began as a response from BHA, honestly. Um, Amber called me up uh, and, uh, well, after she saw my, my, my flyers, um, and uh, she was like, was, you know, expressed her gratitude. And I, I immediately, I mean, I have no problem expressing what I find. I, um, <laughs> I attempt to, uh, I attempt to, uh, you know, uh, protect people's anonymity. And, and I don't talk about folks unless they give me their information and say it's okay, um, uh, you know, and whatnot. But uh, because I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, but I do know that I've held, I've had over 24 families reach out to me 
um, out of our 350 units. And I think that's right, Amber, or it's close to 350, it's something like that between the two. Um, but uh, so I've had, you know, almost, I've had over, over two dozen. So two dozen are regularly in contact with me. Um, I provide, um, so I'm looking at like 10%, you know, contact rate, which is not a, it's, that's not anything to shake a stick at. Um, and uh, I provide, I do pantry runs uh, on Mondays and Wednesdays um, uh, or to Pantry 279 and uh, um, Mother Hubbard's Cupboard because they both work very well with me um, being basically um, a delivery driver for a bunch of folks. Um, and they don't really request much more than, you know, just general information. And it makes them, I can just say that the food, the, the food security, the organizations working on food security and including the community kitchen who was mentioned earlier, um, uh, are doing so in a way that they're cutting through red tape, red tape with a machete. Um, and they should be commended um, because people are getting food um, for sure in this town. And that's really amazing. So um, in addition to that, you know, so Amber brought over the toilet paper and the paper towels and the dog food that somebody needed. <laughs> and I took a picture and posted it on the mutual aid for COVID-19 group in Bloomington, which I'm a member of. And I think there's like around 5,000 members now. It's a pretty amazing group. Um, people should check it out. Uh, it, uh, and within 48 hours, my entire shed was full of non-EBT pantry items, anything from personal items to cleaning supplies, to dog food, diapers, baby items. I even have formula. I have naloxone. I have condoms. I, <laughs> I have just about anything you <laughs> can think of. <laughs> Wait, what, what, what was that I heard? At me. Well, it, it, it was a form of social distancing, uh, William. Uh, <laughs> she was <just> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. So, Y'all so, Nicole, <laughs> Nicole let, let me sum this up. When you got started, you physically went out to inform and educate your community. You organized and you operate a food pantry. You sew and you distribute face masks. Uh, Reverend Gilmore, have, have you crossed paths with Nicole uh, at all? And if not, are you ready to recruit? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, Nicole and I both interacted. Yeah, 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 on Facebook, <laughs> right? Yeah, so, uh, but but uh, yeah, so mostly we crossed paths through Facebook. Uh, but uh, but uh, but mutual aid masks has done a lot of. Um, I mean, one of the things I want to say about the mask making in particular, which we haven't talked about too much yet, but. But uh, that's just been an, a phenomenal effort uh, in the community um, in order to get people, especially marginalized folks, masks and um, so that they can protect themselves and keep themselves safe. And uh, that is uh, just such a – I think that's one of the reasons that we haven't had positive tests is there's just been this incredible community response. And um, the mask making has just been amazing. And I know uh, Nicole's had a big – played a big role in that. Yes, I can just say that the thoughtfulness that goes into what Nicole's doing with the masks, I mean, it's like expert level engineering um, on how to design them. <laughs> and it's also, you know, being really thoughtful. I know she's talked to me about using fabric that's fun for kids and would make them excited and proud to wear their masks. And just thinking at that level, like at how do we make sure that folks feel um, 
like they want to wear their mask. They're proud to do it. They show it off. It's like this fun accessory um, that they have and it's protecting them. But I just want to add that because it's just, you know, it's such depth of the work that she's doing and it's just so considerate. Can I, can I jump in? If I could jump in real quickly, you had mentioned the mutual aid network. And until we did this interview, I have to admit, I've not, I've not heard of that. And I'm sure there are other listeners that have not. Um, if you can describe that and everyone Absolutely. else can chime in too, uh, what is this all about? Okay. So, um, no space for hate, uh, started a mutual aid form for requests for help during COVID, right? Um, and in order to facilitate that form, what they did was they created a group um, on Facebook. It is called the, um, the mm, it's got a long name and it's, I always <laughs> say it backwards, but it's mutual, it's the mutual, it's Monroe County COVID-19. Oh, goodness. I apologize. Uh, I got it up here. I don't have Monroe that in County front of me. Monroe County Area Mutual it, Aid for COVID-19. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Monroe yeah. County Mutual Aid for COVID-19. Exactly. Okay. So it's got over about 5,000 members in it. But believe it or not, most of our social services are represented in this group. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm not kidding you. Um, uh, also, uh, so the way it works is there is a pinned post at the top of the page. Um, there is a place where you can go view a request if you would like to try to help fill them. Um, and there is also a place to request. There's two different forms. Um, so there's a link to that in the pen page. You can always request to join. It is open to everyone. Um, uh, it is for Monroe County. We do, we are trying to, we do have this. There's one for Brown County as well. If you look this up on Facebook, you will find a mutual aid mask in your area. I mean, not mask, a mutual aid network in your area. Um, so anyways, um, the point is, is, uh, people, it, there's two ways of doing it. There's, if there's like people put in requests to the, to the form and then every morning, one of the moderators or admins will post like a daily dispatch of the requests that came in the, the last 24 hours. And then everybody in the freaking group responds and, uh, largely all of the requests get filled. Um, uh, it's, ranges from everything from does somebody you know know where i can find this information to do does anybody know how to fix an air conditioner um you know like so it's i mean it's it's very it's it's very broad uh i encourage people who are um if, if people don't know what mutual aid is mutual aid is um uh, to help others um uh, and also to help yourself so it's about doing no harm so we're not talking about helping others at the cost of yourself or um or vice versa we're talking about a mutually beneficial situation so it's only you know it's it's from it's um it's 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 basically can be summed up best by uh saying from each according to his ability to each according to his need which is a very old quote um uh, and anyways, that's about the best way to uh, sum up what mutual aid is. Um, and yes, that network is available for folks to join. And I do recommend that. We've already got 5,000 community members in it. I am, I am so impressed with you, Nicole. 
and and all of that's not me uh, but, well <laughs> no i mean the way the way you sum that up uh if, if i look up during somebody's daily briefing and you're standing behind them wearing a mask i know what has just happened um one thing i do want to say <laughs> is that um you know as this is sort of as someone once said the new abnormal um and you know let's let's project into next year and hopefully Children are in school. Hopefully, churches are meeting fully. Hopefully, other places hopefully are gathering, we're all doing just that. They we were all wearing masks. Uh, the farmers market is up and going again. Um, I see this mutual aid at work and other such type of support groups as sort of a model. And I'm wondering, have you reached out, or have, have others in different communities, say outside of Bloomington, reached back to you all to ask, hey, oh, how do you do what absolutely. you do? Oh, uh, this is an international phenomenon. This is not Mm -hmm. local. Um, If you Google mutual aid, (laughs) if you just put mutual aid into Facebook and look up groups, um, I couldn't even tell you how many are there. There is one in Indianapolis. There is one in Brown County. Those are two that I know of that are local. There's an an uh, international one uh, that I'm a member of. Uh, there's tons of them. There's international ones. There's ones in other countries. There's ones in other towns. Uh, they range from other uh, different sizes. The reason why I sent that letter out was because this is how mutual aid organizes. So we organize from the bottom up, right? So the point is, is once I was recognized as an individual who was concerned about my neighborhood, I had an individual reach out to me with what was called a pod packet. They didn't put this together. I don't know where 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 it came from. I can I can send you it's I can send you a link. Uh, it's um, it's free source. Everything's open source when you're dealing with this kind of a community. Um, but uh, ultimately, uh, that letter was put together that that whole packet that I got to form a neighborhood pod in response to COVID-19 was put together long time ago and is being used as a model all over the United States in various communities already. We have multiple communities in Bloomington where pods have been formed. Um, A lot of the pods uh, where people did flyer in other areas of the neighborhood, and I'm I'm sure that there will be talk about the flyering after after this because people I know for a fact that other neighbors like the rest of the hill was flyered uh by another person in the group um so the neighborhood surrounding VHA property was fired by somebody else um uh, but for whatever reason I my pod is very we're active and I I mean if that's because we have high need that's because we have high need you know um I've had responses a lot of the donations that we received have come from other pods um you know so it's just this is about redistribution of resources from where there is too much to where they need to go um, or where there is not, I shouldn't say too much, but more than enough to where there, to where there is not enough. Um, and so that's basically what that is. And that's basically the same way that my mask operation that, that I started with some friends and family um, has, uh, has, is operating. Um, we uh, have identified two uh, classifications of vulnerable populations. Uh, that was identified by the CDC, both those vulnerable to susceptibility as well as those vulnerable to high transmission rates. Um, and a lot of those groups cross over. Uh, but uh, other than that, um, we, I, our mission, as far as the mask, mutual aid masks is concerned, um, is to serve, is to, is to educate 
it's to target um, those communities with education um, to uh, encourage the mitigation of COVID-19, as well as provide and, 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 and educate them on personal protective measures, as well as uh, provide access to the best quality PPE that I can muster. Um, and uh, it's getting better every day. Um, the Good. masks are, yeah, they are donation only. They're, you do not have to have a cent to your name in order to request one. So, but we I, do take uh, donations. Like to, <laughs> okay, you take donations, okay? We're gonna ask you how people can donate before we wrap <laughs> this up. But uh, I wanna go back over to Amber. Uh, but before I do, Nicole, Amber says you need your own show. And uh, <laughs> I already have a name I'd like to suggest. <laughs> We, we can call it the mutual aid show. Uh, Amber, I have a quick, quick question for you. Yeah. Um, in, in the midst of everything that's been going on, you have some good news, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, but you have some good news for public housing residents because you recently closed a multi-million dollar contract to begin renovations on public housing in Bloomington. Uh, why don't you go ahead and, uh, and share that with us, please? Sure. Uh, yeah, two weeks ago, we uh, finalized all the financing and all of the approvals uh, that were needed to do some extensive renovations in two of our public housing communities, uh, Reverend Butler, which is on the northwest side near Crestmont, and also Walnut Woods, uh, which is on the south side of Bloomington um, off of Miller Drive, close to where the city of Bloomington Utilities Office is. Uh, so it's 116 units. Um, every unit will get a major facelift, uh, new flooring, kitchen cabinets, um, HVAC systems, um, appliances. Some will get dishwashers, washers and dryers. Um, we, you know, haven't had extensive renovations in many years for Reverend Butler, and we've never had an extensive renovation in Walnut Woods. So. Um, this is a, a major way to get financing that we need to uh, make sure um, we preserve this deeply affordable housing and also, you know, puts us on a much more stable path as a housing authority. Um, the funding for public housing is like a roller coaster and it goes up and down, but mostly down. It's never enough. Um, and we needed to act quickly um, if we were going to preserve this um, for future um, community members that were in need. So we, we've completed all those approvals. We have all the financing we need. And, and so we started renovations uh, most recently in, in Walnut Woods. And we'll work through uh, renovating all those communities through 2020 and hope to be complete by the end of 2021. That's awesome. That is awesome. And for those that have just joined us, we're having a conversation with Reverend Forrest Gilmore, Executive Director of Shalom Community Center. Um, Ms. Amber Scobie, who just spoke, she's the Executive Director of the Bloomington Housing Authority. And Nicole Johnson, uh, who may have tossed her head in to run for president, I don't know. Uh, she is just <laughs> a woman who's rolled up her sleeves to, uh, to do some things not only in her community, but she's benefiting so many others. Uh, there was a question that, um, uh, I, I, I'm, I want to get this asked, and we have about, oh, about nine minutes left, left, so for all of you to comment, there really is no coordination for food donations at the federal level. We've been hearing some stories, sad stories, about how farmers are having to plow under their crops 
and dairy farmers are having to dump milk. And any thoughts, ideas, or are there resources or agencies that you can utilize to tap into these resources that are just being wasted? That's a tough one. Um, you know, <laughs> so, I, so we're all a little quiet, I think, maybe. But um, but certainly, I think, um, as Nicole mentioned, you know, local is really important and, and working with your local networks and what's available and what's out there. So what we see around around our communities, we need to try and uh, just talk to each other and work together and try and get things out. Hoosier Hills Food Bank has been a real star in all this work um, lately in terms of getting food out um, to the various, you know, soup kitchens and food pantries and such. And they've just been doing a great job getting food out so that we continue to be able to meet the demand that's out there. Um, and so that's one organization that I really want to hold up is doing some great work in food distribution. Yeah, I mean, as a Midwest farmer's daughter, I could talk at length about um, agriculture in today's world, but um, I... Oh, I do tell. Hoosier Hill Food Bank, um, uh, they've been running a food pantry on Thursday afternoons. I think it's around 3 or 3.30 in our community building. Um, and our resident council helps coordinate that. Um, also, Community Kitchen Express has been providing meals um, at the Express location, which is along um, 11th and Monroe Street. Um, and then they're also, now that uh, Memorial Day has passed, they're distributing um, lunches for kids uh, throughout Crestmont, uh, Reverend Butler, and Walnut Woods locations. I'm not sure of the times on those, but I'm sure if you check out their website, those would be available. Um, and also, I know like Pantry, uh, is it 279 has been just um, such a valuable resource for our community as well. So hopefully this sort of sheds some light on how fragile our, our food systems are and some improvements that need to be made um, and also how important SNAP benefits are for, for families to access easily um, and to try to cut their red tape there as well. Indeed, and I would just like to mention even on a more local level, um, uh, we have uh, a little free pantry. Um, a lot of the little free libraries around Bloomington have agreed to participate and become little free pantries um, uh, during COVID-19. Um, so check those out as well in your neighborhoods. And um, uh, I can't keep ours full. <laughs> so I know, you know, like even though like folks aren't necessarily calling or whatnot, I've, I fill it up almost daily. Um, and I can't keep it full. So there's definitely a need, mm -hmm. you know. You know, I think you named it Pigeon Hill Food Pantry. Well, it's not and, a food pantry. Uh, it's just Pigeon Hill Pantry, but yes. <laughs> okay. And, and, then, and then you have you have a Facebook group called Hunkering Down on the Hill. Can you talk about that a little That's bit? That's right. <laughs> I would love to. It's, it's sponsored by the... Uh, of by or it's connected to the pantry page um and it's just a place for individuals in on the hill and it's not just the bha in that group i will say um we have lots of folks in our neighborhood um in the in the residential neighborhoods surrounding the apartments um i think there's like probably about 25 people in it right now it's not super huge we just kind of got it started um but a lot of the people 
um, that did respond to me um, initially, uh, that's what they, they were like, if we're going to be connected some way as a group, that Facebook would be the way for us. Um, and so that's what we chose to do um, with the input that I got from the individuals I spoke to at the time. And so I just came up with something that sounded a little fun and um, maybe like communal and like, you know, helpful. Like there's more than one of us because uh, we are not alone and this will not last forever. Well, we have about four minutes left and time has flown uh, because we've had an engaging conversation. That's always the case. If we can go around and if there is just some uh, information that you have not expressed that you want our listeners to hear, here's the chance to do it. And we'll start with uh, Reverend uh, Gilmore. Oh, I just, uh, I just want to express my gratitude. This, this um, community has just responded with such uh, you know, force and generosity and um, uh, just, you know, on the spot support that's uh, just been really remarkable through this, this crisis. It's a real testament to, to what humans can do uh, together when they really put their minds to it. And we alluded to it a little bit uh, down the road, but, but, um, but this is a long-term crisis and uh, it's not stopping uh, now. And so, so we've got to keep thinking long-term, even though the energy of uh, some of it may kind of decline, we've got to continue to keep people safe um, until we have a cure for this disease. Um, so I uh, just want to keep that in people's mind. If people are wanting to support um, uh, Shalom and the work we do, the best way to check us out is through our website, shalomcommunitycenter.org, or through our Facebook page. Okay, Amber? Yeah, I just wanted to also um, thank you guys for having me on today and be able to talk about the work that we're doing at the Housing Authority and highlight some just super positive things like what Nicole's doing. Um, I wanted to thank the staff at the Housing Authority. They've been super incredible. They've never stopped serving our families. They've been really innovative. Um, things have changed daily, but they've gone with the flow and they've done a tremendous job. Um, you know, just today I saw a headline that one in four Americans is filing for some sort of unemployment benefit. And so this is not going to be a short-term issue. And the demand for the programs that the Housing Authority offers is just going to expand. Um, so know that we're in the community and we're going to work really hard. Uh, you can check us out at our website. It has a COVID-19 page and all the up-to-date information. It's bhaindiana.net. And you can always call our office. It's 812-339-3491. And then finally, um, last but not certainly least but all, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me today. Um, I'm glad I've got to talk about the organizations I did and groups that I got to talk about today. But I would like to leave you with mutual aid masks. Our mission is to promote the mitigation of the spread of and reduce harm associated with the COVID-19 pandemic in Bloomington's most vulnerable populations through targeted community education on personal protective measures and distribution of personal protective equipment to those populations and the organizations that serve them. We currently have a queue. You can either go to our website at www.mutualaidmasks.com or you can find us on Facebook at mutual aid mask um both of those locations you can message them there's there's ways to uh, message the page uh or uh fill out the form on the website to get into the queue masks are about a week out 
Um, they are pay what you can, even if it is zilch. Um, I will say most folks requesting masks are not paying. Most of our donations are coming from the community. There is a fundraiser link in the website. Uh, on, the, in, on the website, excuse me, there's a fundraiser link in the website link on our the about section to our Facebook page, and you can also donate by PayPal on the website. Oh, sorry, but thank you so much for having me, and uh, I appreciate uh, everything that every, this community is doing. The uh, I want to just remind people that it's not quite like this everywhere. Bloomington's a special place. All right, and on that note, we want to thank Reverend Forrest Gilmore, Executive Director of Salome Community Center, Ms. Amber Scobie, Executive Director of the Bloomington Housing Authority, and Nicole Johnson for joining us this evening for an insightful conversation on the strategies to help those who feel marginalized and who are at high risk concerning this COVID-19 pandemic. We at Bring It On have an open submission policy, so if you have any ideas, we would like to hear them please send your emails to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share any and everything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. Once again, that email address, bringiton at wfhb.org. And I just want to say that it's been a pleasure uh, producing this show along with William. I'm Clarence Boone and we get help from the WFHB News Department Director, Cade Young. Our original theme music was created by Jamil FM with additional background tracks by David Baker. And for WFHB, I'm Clarence Boone. And William, if you want to give them a little teaser about the June 8th broadcast as you sign off. Actually, on June 8th, we're going to um, broadcast a show about the recent state of uh, killings and racial profiling of young black men and women across the country. Our guests are going to feature Professor Amrita Myers from Indiana University and Eric Love from, uh, he's from Notre Dame, right, Clarence? That's right. Okay. That's correct. That's uh, June the 8th at 6 p.m. right here on WFHB. And on that note, our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone with help from WFHB News Department Director Cade Young. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I am William Hosea. And I'm Clarence Boone. Uh, be sure to tune in uh, again next Monday the 8th, June 8th, for another, I can't believe we're in June already, uh, for another okay. edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. And also thank you for bearing with us during our sort of um, unique way of broadcasting via conferencing. We're trying to take measures to protect everybody during this COVID-19 pandemic. But tune in next week for more. Until then, be safe and take care. Mm-hmm.